Gretchen Carlson's recent Lifetime TV special, Gretchen Carlson Breaking the Silence, dealing with sexual harassment, is now in the Emmy running. I'm Charlie Bright of Gold Derby here with Gretchen, who spent months interviewing scores of women who suffered the same abuse she said she experienced at Fox News Channel. Gretchen, what did you? Uh, uh, what was the biggest takeaway uh, from your journey making this? Charlie, thanks so much for having me on Gold Derby. Um, well, first of all, I just really wanted to feature the every woman's story because what happened after my case was filed was I felt all alone. I had no idea that this was a pervasive epidemic across our whole country. And then I started hearing from dozens of women and then it grew to hundreds and then it grew to thousands. And it was across every socioeconomic uh, profession. It was in every state. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have to do something with this. And that was really the genesis of the documentary Breaking the Silence. And I really wanted to focus on um, women that hadn't been heard before. I think there's sort of a feeling in society that well-known journalists or famous Hollywood actresses, there was a lot of attention on some of those women's stories. But what I found out is that Unfortunately, every woman has a story and they can be police officers, firefighters, teachers, members of our military, lawyers, accountants, doctors, they're everywhere. And so my focus was, hey, I want to travel across this country. I want to do all the interviews by myself. I want to get to know who these women are. I want to tell their stories and I want the world to understand that this is something that we collectively have to come together to try and fix. And what was for you, what was the toughest part about making this documentary? Because you said that you were doing a lot of this yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, so what was the toughest part you found about making this? Yeah, so I was the reporter, the, the interviewer and the executive producer, you know, at least one of them. And so this was very close to me. As you saw at the beginning of the doc, we go home to my small town in Minnesota where I grew up and we have a very emotional exchange with my parents and with my best friend. and. You know, so it shows that the raw emotion of what I went through personally and the toll that it has on your loved ones. And, and I wanted to make sure to show that because I wanted to show the world that when you experience something like this, it doesn't matter who you are. You have an immediate connection to anyone else who, who has experienced something similar. And so then when I travel down to New Orleans or to Kansas City or to California or to Virginia, and I'm meeting with fast food workers from McDonald's who've had similar experiences. You know, we have this immediate connection with each other without having to say anything, even though our lives may have never crossed in any other way or that we may have never shared any other similarities. It's almost like when I meet Tanya or Kim or anyone else that I feature in this doc, like we just, we just understand each other. And I wanted them to know that I cared about their stories because quite honestly, Charlie, most people haven't given a you know what about their stories ever. And I wanted the world, and that's why people should see this doc. It's like, it's so emotional and raw and you really realize, oh my gosh, this is an epidemic and we have to come together. So what made you determine that this method and format was the best way to address this issue, at least at this, at least at this moment? Yeah, because I think nobody had done this before. Nobody had taken the time to feature these stories. You know, when I travel around the country now, I say, and, and you do this every single day for, for, your, for your own uh, business, but do you think that three years ago, uh, newspapers, magazines, television networks would be assigning entire teams to cover sexual harassment stories in our country? 
I mean, if I would have told you that three years ago, you would have laughed me off the stage, <laughs> right? Because we nobody cared. And I can say that because I've been a journalist for 30 years. So I put myself in that bunch. We didn't cover those stories. You know, needless to say, I never realized I was going to become the story. And so I really, really, really wanted to focus on these women who've never had a chance to tell their stories. And that was the predominant message that I heard from all these women who started reaching out to me was, thank you for being the voice for the voiceless. And I felt this, I felt this responsibility to try to make it better for other women who maybe didn't have the same resources that I had or the same national platform. And quite honestly, that would be the fast food worker from McDonald's. And, you know, basically just trying to make ends meet on 15 bucks an hour and supplying food and sustenance and shelter to their entire family on that. And at the same time, going to work and allegedly being sexually assaulted and harassed. How did you uh, choose um, which cases to feature uh, in the doc? Good question. So unfortunately, there were so many stories. Thousands. I mean, there might be millions in our country. And so we really wanted to focus on different geographic regions. Um, we wanted to focus on different professions. And I really wanted it to be like a road trip, you know, where I showed America that I was traveling all across the country because it's everywhere. And so I think that we really succeeded in, in showing the cross-section of women that this affects. And here's the really sad part about most of these stories is that when these women have found the courage somehow to come forward, they were almost all beaten down as a result, not believed, you know, the same myths that I faced when I came forward that have been going on for decades. Somehow it was their fault or they brought it on or they got fired from their jobs, right? And that is what I've heard from almost all of the women who've reached out to me is that when they did find the courage to come forward, they never ever worked in their chosen professions ever again. And that is outrageous and why people should want to see this documentary. It's absolutely heartbreaking. And do, do you find that the retaliation can sometimes be worse? The, the feelings after the retaliation, after retaliation can be worse than the harassment sometimes? Yeah, it's a great question, Charlie. Thank you so much for bringing it up because a lot of times people um, they just want the salacious details of a sexual harassment case, you know, like, well, what did he say to you? Or what did he do to you? Or how did he touch you? Or, you know, do you want to have sex with you? Um, and really the, the pain and agony for most of the women that I've spoken to is what happens when they rebuff. What happens when you don't go along with it or you complain about it? The retaliation in most cases can be so much more severe and psychologically damaging to these women um, to the point where, you know, in a lot of cases, these women would just quit their jobs or move on. And that's just like passing along the problem, right? We've seen that with Catholic priests, you know, it's sort of the same phenomenon. It's, it's like, well, you know, let's just get rid of those women, even though they didn't do anything wrong. And then we keep the predators in place. So, um, yeah, it's it's we've got a lot of work left to do in our country. But I think when people see this documentary, they um, they really feel like they understand the issue so much more, and that they want to help. 
And I, I think you also just uh, touched on this in, in in one of your answers, but do, uh, do you think that there's a tendency sometimes uh, for uh, certain corporations or organizations to view when when there is, usually it has to be an egregious instance, uh, to just remove someone who's viewed as a problem and think that the problem is solved rather than actually addressing the culture? It's so true. And isn't that sad? Like to even hear you state it that way. Like when if you say that out loud to people, they're like, oh, that could never be really happening, right? But unfortunately, that's the norm, what you just said. It's like suddenly the woman who maybe took years to find the courage to actually go to HR and say something or go to her boss and say something. And then it's like the immediate reaction, instead of applauding, like, thank you for your courage, we're gonna really look into this. It's almost like the reverse, like, oh my gosh, she's a troublemaker, let's get rid of her as fast as we can. And because we don't want anyone to know about this, right? And so what I've been trying to say when I travel across the country and, and especially in this doc is, let's reverse that. Like imagine if inside all of the companies that we work at, that the tone was set from the top down that was just the opposite of what I just explained. What if the, the boss of the company said, you know what, we're gonna celebrate people who come forward because we actually want a safe work environment for all of our employees. You see, if, if somebody actually said it that way, that would just change the entire dynamic. But actually what we've seen happen over the last two and a half years is that when this kind of behavior is coming from the top, it trickles all the way down. And it's almost like that becomes acceptable behavior. And then the people you hire are kind of like you. So then they have that kind of behavior. And before you know it, the entire company is toxic to work in. And so when a woman comes forward, she's treated like, oh, she's the pariah. Let's, let's get rid of her. We need to completely flip that 180 degrees. Yeah, so that the whole, so that it, it, it's not always about the bottom line. Oh yeah, well actually the, the truth is this really affects the bottom line in an incredibly negative way because companies are potentially paying off all of these multi-million dollar settlements to keep the issue quiet instead of just having a safe work environment for everyone, right? I mean, when you think about it, and plus you're getting rid of all these women, um, a lot of studies have shown that not retaining women in the workplace is taking away from your bottom line. So there are a million reasons why companies should be really, I'm hoping that they're being introspective right now in what I like to call this cultural revolution that we're in. Instead of thinking that this is like a passing fad, like, oh, we don't have to worry about this. What I'm hopeful for is that they're actually taking time to be introspective and saying, how can we make this a better work environment? What can we do to change that? And some of those companies have reached out to me, um, you know, and all the legislative work that I've been doing aside from the documentary. Um, you know, so I do have I do have optimism about where we're headed. That actually leads to my next question I was going to ask. Uh, have there been an instance of a corporation or organization taking substantive steps to actually addressing sexual harassment in their offices that are more than just, you know, lip service that that are really trying to address the and and change the culture. Yeah, yeah, thanks so much cuz like lip service you're so right. Like a lot of these sexual harassment training sessions that employees go through are just cover your ass facades. You know, they're just BS to be honest with you. It's like a way of saying, "Hey, we provided training. 
and it doesn't really mean anything. Um, I will say that, so when I started working on my legislation to take arbitration clauses out of workplace contracts, not to get too complicated on that, but basically it keeps this issue secret by forcing you into this secret chamber of arbitration instead of going to a, an open jury process. And so when we introduced the legislation, Microsoft actually stepped up to the plate without being forced to by federal legislation and said, we're gonna take these clauses out of our employment contracts because we believe in providing you know, an open and more transparent work environment. And then I thought, wow, a lot of other companies, I hope they follow suit. And you know, they didn't really in the beginning, but uh, then Uber and Lyft did, and then you had the Google walkout. And after the Google walkout, which really showed the power of one employee starting something and collectively coming together, and it showed the power of, of how we are as individuals in this country and what we can do to make change. And so right after that, Google took arbitration clauses out of their employment contracts and then Airbnb, Facebook, eBay. I mean, it sort of just created this, this trend among uh, tech companies at least. So I'm hopeful that that will continue with, with other companies, but the first one to be brave was Microsoft. That's really fascinating. Yeah. I know. And I continue to work on the legislation. Now that we have a new Congress, um, I just reintroduced my bill in the House um, in February. So that's a whole nother tangent. Um, I did a different doc on that. But um, this doc was specifically focusing on the stories of these women that have never been told. And do you think there, uh, what's the biggest thing that can be done to instill the idea? Because as you said, it's about the culture that has allowed this to happen and fester for so long. What's the biggest thing that can be done to instill the idea that treating people in such a way is not okay? Yep, fixing this is a tangled web. It's not just a silver bullet solution. So awareness, number one, that's why I did the doc. But then I was just talking about my legislation, You know, number two. Um, number three, uh, companies being introspective. Number four, how we raise our kids. I mean, I have found out actually that we need to flip the way we look at this issue completely on its side. We spend a lot of time empowering girls in our society and we do a great job with that. But really we should be focusing specifically on this issue on our boys. And you know, I'm blessed to have a son and a daughter and I've really found that my courage um, was contagious with both of them, but especially with my son, to be able to see what his mom did and to know that that's how he wants to treat women moving forward. Um, and he has said some amazing things to me since then. And, and if we could give that message to all little boys across our country, you gotta start when they're young, to have them respect women like they do their own moms when they get into the workplace. That's really, to me, the key to this. And then I would just say that the final part of the tipping point is when those boys become men, that instead of enabling this kind of behavior, if they know that it's going on in their companies, to actually stand up and support the women, because we need you guys. We we need men to help us in this fight. And um, the shouldering, you know, the responsibility shouldn't just be on women. It's really about all of us coming together. And it's and you know the fact that men can be can be victims of this as well. Totally, great point. I've heard from a lot of men. I mean, it's predominantly women who are, but I don't want to rule out the fact that definitely there are, there are men and, and I've heard from, from a lot of them. You know, it's really interesting because I see in the younger people that I talk to, 
Um, they really want to solve this. And when I go speaking across the country, I'm heartened to see that there are just as many young men in the audience as there are women. And, and that says to me that they want to come together to do something about this. Um, you know, it could be a generational thing, maybe, but you know, we still sit here in 2019 and we can't believe that we're still dealing with this, right? I mean, I thought that we had solved this like 20 years ago and we're still, we're still battling it. So this time we have to do it. <laughs> we have to do it this time. And it's why I wanted to create the awareness so that people would know more about it in the doc. Uh, and I also just was curious, have there been any developments on any of the cases that you covered uh, in the documentary since it aired? Yeah, so a lot of them are still, you know, in litigation or in the legal fight. I will um, tell you that there's fantastic news for Carla Amazola. She was the uh, Latina journalist who I feature uh, out in California in Los Angeles. And um, she was not able, she had an arbitration clause. Um, she was not able to find work after she was fired. Um, and I'm, I'm so happy to say that Telemundo has hired her. Um, you know, she had her career all in front of her. She was, she had just won an Emmy after she got fired. And, um, and so I am so, so happy for Carla because she was just basically running out of money and she was living with friends and she had nowhere to go. And um, she is a total success story. That had to have been just surreal, you know, just winning, you know, right after she's fired, she wins an Emmy. Mm -hmm. But as you said, she's having to live with friends. So she's having to like move around, probably living in boxes. And in one of those boxes is what's considered television's highest honor. I know. I mean, and, and the place where she had worked had never won an Emmy ever before. So after mm -hmm. they fire her, she and her producer, who they also fired um, because he stuck up for her. Uh, they both, they both were honored with, with an Emmy. So I'm, I'm so happy for Carla and her tenacity um, to, to be able to now have a, a new job. Um, and I'm hopeful that, that we're gonna have other success stories of the other women that I feature. Well, thanks Gretchen. Uh, to all of our viewers, uh, go to goldderby.com right now, make your predictions so you can compete against our experts, editors, and other fans, and prove if you are our smartest, prognostic if you are our smartest prognosticators in Hollywood. But before you go, click subscribe, uh, on this video so that you're alerted to the great chats we have with top contenders. Again, Gretchen, thanks so much. Thank you for having me, Charlie. Take care. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.